Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> and do you remember the name of the show? People to Pieces. There you go. Welcome back to People to Pieces. My name is Maurice Carver, and I'm joined by Lori Jones. Lori, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Maurice? I am doing quite well. And one of the things that I like to talk about is polls. And a lot of times when we're dealing with polls, um, people will say, well, they can be skewed to mean this or mean that. And I'm like, you don't say that when you watch Family Feud because they always talk about the survey says and you you take it as, as pure gold. One of the particular issues I do want to talk about, excuse me, is what makes life meaningful? The Pew Research Center did a poll, uh, which was on a global basis, asking the question, what makes life meaningful? And so we're going to ask you that question, Jones. What makes life meaningful for you besides me? <laughs> well, actually, you're right. You, I shouldn't laugh because um, for me, it's, it's consistent with what the poll said. It's family. And that includes my family as well as my extended family. So I think, um, I think that that was uh, probably an observation that most people know offhand already. What I found interesting about it, though, is when they were talking about that the younger group um, put a high um, priority on friends. And I thought about the fact that they may not even realize that whole concept of extended family in the same vein as the older generation does, because they have a different concept than we did in terms of, you know, growing up and, and, you know, socializing and things of that nature. But um, I agree. I think family is definitely number one. And, and I don't think people said it just to say it, but I think they're, they're looking at it in terms of who has my back, you know, who I can rely on, who I can count on, you know, people that you generally feel love for. And, uh, you know, that would make you happy at any age. Well, were you surprised that between the ages of 18 and 29, family ranked uh, number one? Because I, I, I was kind of surprised by that. I thought friends would probably uh, surpass that, that particular uh, family issue. No, because I think people are still, I mean, it's, you're going through so many um, changes of friends through your younger ages. You know, as we get older, you so some of us, you know, wind up having a set group of friends because you're not out socializing and meeting the way you do actively when you're younger. So I think that people look at the consistency in their life. They look at the people who, you know, they constantly look to for advice and friendship and love and all of that other stuff. And so I think family would still remain um, consistent even on the younger group. Well, it, it, again, they talked about uh, friends and community, and it made me wonder what they mean by that, because there's the, the, the analysis that you just brought where you talked about you have lifelong friends, but then there's this whole idea of the, of the internet and this meta, meta stuff going on where you're meeting people online and you're having relationships with people online where you physically haven't even met them, and they, they form communities online. They're, they're in a, a Discord. They're on Twitch, they're on you know, TikTok, they're on all these other things. And so I'm wondering if, if, if they took that into account, because there's, some, there's something about there being a disconnect. Like one of the gentlemen said, you know, 
uh, that what affected him during this whole pandemic issue was that he didn't get a chance to see people. Now, this was the older gentleman. Uh, I think he was in his 30s. And he appreciated being able to see his friends directly. But I'm not sure if that holds the same weight with younger people. What do you think about that? I, I think I, I agree with you only because I think a lot of the younger generation don't realize the things that somebody 30 plus do in terms of the social, the face to face benefit of socialization. You know, I, you know, I've seen relationships, you know, I've been, you know, you know friends with people on online, um, on Facebook and things like that. And I've seen some of the younger groups that seem to have um, playful interactions with their online friends, where I guess there is a closeness so they can identify with. So I get that, but I also think that they don't understand the things that we do and we did in terms of, you know, going outside and playing with somebody on the stoop, you know, or playing Skelly in the street or, you know, the things that we don't even see in our environment anymore. So they don't understand that concept the same way that we do. Well, I, I think that you would have this, ex, this COVID-19 uh, experience that would probably change people's perspective about actually making interaction a, a, a priority, actually seeing somebody physically and talking to somebody, even though we're still in this COVID experience. And, we tell, you know, of course, we want people when they do that to do it safely. You want to wear your mask. Uh, and um, we, we're not telling people not to see each other. I'm not focusing on 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 that particular issue i'm just saying that i think it's important for you to see people as part of a mental health uh a mental wellness issue because i think that a lot of people don't realize a lot of young people said that the covid uh 19 uh pandemic has negatively negatively affected them um and and just to give you the numbers jones i'm just going to read this to you when they, they did another another poll, uh, it said that the poll found that more than half, 51% of young Americans reported feeling down, depressed, and hopeless at, at times. And roughly a quarter reported thoughts of self-harm over a two-week period. Now, that's between 50 to 55 million young people are in this particular se segment. So that's a, that's a lot of young people there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think, again, I think until you've experienced something, you don't you don't know what you're missing. So uh, a lot of young people, if you tell them about, you know, hugging, you know, some people, when you see them, they, they hug you. You know, the, 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 the sense of reaching out and touching someone, even if it's shaking somebody's hands in a, in a business relationship, it, it gives a connection that you can't mimic online. That's why that whole metaverse thing is is interesting from what I've seen about it, you know, where they're talking about, oh, now you can attend a concert with your best friend where your avatar is with their avatar and you will, you know, you have the glasses on and you're, you know, it's, it's almost like you were there, but you're looking through the screen. And I'm thinking you're, you're missing the point. You know, there have been studies about body language and, you know, psychologist studies about, you know, the, the importance of, of connections and, all of these things that people are trying to subvert, you know, in terms of ease, you know, ease of, of um, getting together. I know in over, over the years, even before COVID, companies were trying to do more video conferencing and things like that because they wanted to save money. You know, they wanted to save those hotel bills and the traveling and stuff like that. I get that. But when you're talking about it on a personal level, 
at that point, I think you need to evaluate it a little bit differently. I know growing up, I, I can remember at every point in my life having a close best friend. And if you haven't had that, you can't even understand the importance of what that does for you in terms of your development and your friendships. So I think it's more of something that we have to introduce to people who are not familiar with what they're missing. And another point that that was made was they said a majority 18 to 29 year olds also reported that the Corona virus pandemic has changed them with 14% of them saying that they, they, they feel that they are very different person. And so I wondered about what they meant by that saying that they're a very different person. Did it, you know, I want to ask the question, did they, did it change them for the positive or negative? Because some, some instances can make you stronger but some can make you weaker, but across political lines, this, this is the thing you're going to find interesting, right? It was, there was no partisan divide when it came to how people felt about this, if it had a negative impact on them. 51% of Democrats, 51% of Republicans, and 52% of independents all said the pandemic has had a negative impact on their life. Well, I think it has to, it has to have a negative impact. One, because financially it, it touched everyone. It touched you whether you um, lost a job or it touched you whether or not you couldn't buy food that you normally could buy or, you know, just there are so many things about it that had to touch you in a negative way. So that that doesn't surprise me. But I also think that people have, um, you know, I guess there's a, a consensus that there was so much uncertainty. There is, unfortunately, I'm saying was like it's over. There is so much uncertainty and ter- in terms of health in terms of when this is going to end, in terms of the economy, that everybody's a little wary about it, that even if you could deal with it uh, a little bit better than, you know, the some of the people who had depression and, and things of that nature because they weren't able to, to, to go out to restaurants and all of that other stuff. I think beyond that, that type of um, negative effect, I think people also have the what's next, you know, what's going to happen next. So, so let me ask you a question, Laurie. Um, are you a very different person now? What what happened in the pandemic or what about the pandemic do you think has changed you as an individual? You know, it's, it's strange because I don't think I'm a very different person. I think I'm pretty much the same. I think I'm more aware of um, the importance of things. You know, like you, when, when I was, even before the pandemic, I was touting that um, how come we don't socialize anymore, but that's because I grew up in a social family. You know, I grew up with a family that had basement, you know, basement parties and, you know, we had extended families, you know, like five. With the red or blue light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these are our parents' basement parties. These aren't our basement parties. These are our parents having the gatherings where you were just happy that you got to eat junk food that you normally can eat, you know, drink soda and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, that kind of, or like I said, they, we had an extended family where there are like four or five different families where we call them our play cousins and our aunts and uncles and stuff like that, even though they were blood related, where we were constantly around those people. And so I think that, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that, that we miss when we realize that we can't do it. It's one thing not to do it, which we have had over I'd say the span of at least the past 10 to 15 years where people have the opportunity to socialize, but they don't, you know, because they're busy online or they're texting or, you know, they're not doing the stopping by somebody's house and just visiting to be visiting or going by somebody's house and just watching TV with them. 
you know, that kind of a thing. But once you can't do it because you can't do it, you know, you feel a little bit different than you would when you're just, you know, I guess um, speculating, like, why don't we socialize anymore? Well, what I would say is that a lot of people should, should have t- taken away at least this one thing, that their life was like a hamster on a wheel. And once they stopped rolling, they were able to get off and kind of decompress and re-examine different issues of their life. For example, work. A lot of people started looking at work and they found that they, was a, they had a dissatisfaction with work and they started looking at other options besides going into the office. So I think that that's a, even though it's a negative experience, it, it, it made people look at or advance their philosophy about how work is done in this country. Now, as for me, I have faith in God. And so my strength was there. It didn't, it didn't impact me as much, but I cannot tell you it didn't affect me. What it made me think about, Jones, was this. This is an African organization that actually uh, produces this particular uh, uh, item. It's like a power source that helps people to um, be able to read it in, in uh, these, these particular countries where they don't have constant or consistent electricity. And it, you could power your cell phone. You do all these different things of that nature. And so I said to myself, um, and I've been trying to get this item for for like um, like three years, even before this pandemic. But you can't find it. It was sold out on their line. Now, it was about five hundred bucks for the item, and I think you can get like nine hours of, uh, and it recharges by the sun. So it's 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 all of the good things that you would think you want to have in case the power grid went down or you have to rely on yourself to be able to um, power those things. That, that you need to get power. But then the, the price of this item jumped to like 1500 something bucks now. So I said to myself, wow. Now, I'm, I get it. You know, it's, it's a wonderful technology and stuff. But because of the pandemic and because of the, we already talked about this several times on, on the podcast, the, the uh, issues of um, chips and technology being able to get around to and being completed, uh bottlenecks and, and supply chains and things of that nature. It, 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 but it made me realize that we need to start thinking about how we can take care of ourselves if this society starts to de-evolve, right? Here's another fact that you didn't know, right? You're gonna get a, you're gonna, you're gonna get a kick out of this. Um, but, but do you think, do you think this, I don't want you to answer the question yet, but do you think that there's going to be another civil war in the United States with the, all of this the discord that's going on? Well, guess what? A lot of young people think so. A lot of young people think that that in their lifetime, there's going to be another civil war. And I found that to be really telling. I, I find it, I don't find it surprising, um, only because I think that a lot of people, another side effect of, of, of the um, of COVID is people had more time to pay attention to news, just like they, they spoke about the fact that um, the p- possibly the George Floyd situation, as devastating as it was, impacted people more because they were home. Right. Because we've had, we've, you know, we've had Amadou Diallo, 21 shots, and we've had, you know, you know, um, Sean Bell, and we've had some situations that are are shocking, you know, to the the you know regarding the loss of life that sh- probably could impact 
as much as the George Floyd situation, but people are going around living their busy lives and probably weren't focusing on things like that. So when you talk about the younger generation now worrying about a civil war, they've also been able to um, watch the, the morality, so to speak, of the country where you now have people who are basically telling you, we don't really care about you know, whether or not you have enough to eat, or we don't really care about your, your thoughts on gun laws, or we don't, you know, you have a lot of people, especially now that you can pay attention to what your, your politicians are doing, you know, they're, they're not doing things that look like they're moving towards um, reconciliation, or, you know, whatever, restitution, whatever you're looking for from your politicians. And so young people are probably more aware of the fact that there's more divisiveness in the country than there is togetherness. Well, the, the poll found that nearly half of young Republicans say that there's a 50% chance or better that they will see a second uh, civil war in their lifetime compared to 32% of young Democrats and 38% of independents or people who identified as being unaffiliated as a voter. So, and this was based on a poll that was, that was about 2,000, uh, 2,100 people between the ages of 18 and 29. And uh, again, this, this was the Harvard Youth Poll. And I found it interesting because again, as part of the, the conversation, and you, you hit it on the head, Jones, a, a lot of young people say that, that, that our democracy is in trouble. Uh, the, the matter of fact, it says, well, Democrats are roughly split uh, on whether US democracy is functioning or in trouble. 70% of young Republicans report that the country was either uh, a, a democracy in trouble or a failed democracy. So, you know, and then they said the total number, 52% um, of young people in the U.S. believe that the, the country's democracy is either in trouble or a failed democracy. Just 7% said the democracy in the United States is healthy. So well, I'll see. tell you from from a, a perspective of someone much older than the eighteen to twenty nine, you know, year um, age group. Just um, the morality of our politicians are is is questionable. It, I mean, it, it concerns me. Everybody's always had their you know smear campaigns and all of that other stuff. But when we have situations where we have people doing things that are obviously negative and not contributing towards, you know, the United States, um, then, and it's accepted. I think that's a problem. And that's the problem. That's why I'm concerned about the Republican Party. Um, because if you have people who are either when um, President Obama was in office, putting out negative, um, negative cartoons about Michelle Obama, are, are saying negative things are now we have the current day where they're saying negative stuff about, you know, the jihad squad or, you know, um, putting out cartoons that, you know, somebody's trying to kill somebody else. When they're doing that, and it's not only, and, and everybody, including Republicans and Democrats, aren't saying that's wrong. At that point, you have to be concerned whether or not you have a large group of people that are accepting negative behavior and as they, the more it becomes acceptable, the more it's going to continue. 
And at that point, you know, at, you know, one, one group is going to get tired of it, you know, and so you'd have a civil, you know, the, the makings of a civil war and another group is going to get more aggressive. And so you have the making of civil war. And then we're back to that whole, the North versus the South mentality. Well, well, I think part of the problem is the situation is in terms of how we get our information. We see how sectionalized our information is, especially online, but especially in terms of what news outlet you turn into it's, it's never a balance. Of, of facts, it's, a, it's, a, it's skewed toward whoever is trying to get that particular opinion out. When you look at the idea of what the presidency means, you would never see anybody saying anything negative about the president uh, maybe 30 or, or 40 years ago, at least um, not alluding to them being mentally ill. Like for example, if you, if you watch certain news uh, stations, they're consistently talking about Biden is, is he's falling asleep or at, at, at a, a meeting or He's mentally slow or he's all this and all that. And, and it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like if they remember that this is supposed to be the person that represents the United States across the world. It's not a really positive image that you want to be saying these negative things about. Him. You can disagree with him on policy and people should suspect that that's what democracy is supposed to be about. Right. Even though this technically is a republic because, you know, it's, we're not a democracy is one man, one vote. Republic is who you have somebody that represents you. And see, that's where the disconnect comes with young people, that they think that these particular politicians that are in office don't necessarily represent them in their point of view or they or they care about these issues. For example, like Biden administration with debt relief, student debt relief. They talked about it. And then the powers that be, the people that, that they said, no, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. And all of a sudden it went to the back burner. Young people see that. Because and then they get deflated. I remember when 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 we were that age in our 18 years old and running around just getting our feet wet within politics, and there were issues that we fought for. And then we saw how they, we had champions that, that they said that they were gonna fight for it with us, and, and all of a sudden the political machine got a hold of it and it died. And guess what happens when, when that that situation occurs? The enthusiasm of young people dies. And they don't see the purpose of, of, of putting the time and effort into making this, quote unquote, a better democracy when it's really not about them in the first place. Well, Maurice, I want to give a little pushback there. Um, I think we also have to look at the fact that the, how the economy runs. And while it is a great idea for um, debt relief, it's also a great idea that they should have been looking a long time ago over, you know, prices that were hiked up, like tuition, you know, room and board, books and all of that other stuff before we got to this point. You know, before somebody's, you know, $100,000 in debt, when it doesn't cost that much more to pay the teachers to run the school and all of that other stuff, that's kind of part of the problem. But now we are where we are now. And when you look at student loans and things of that nature, it's the same, it's the same mechanism as with, with a, a, um, a city where if we look at New York City and we say, okay, we need to have the subways fixed and we need to have this done. And this, but those things, because of COVID, they weren't getting the income because people weren't riding on the train. You know, they weren't getting tickets because people weren't going out on their car. And you look at the fact that the city still needed a certain amount of money to run and they didn't have it. You can't turn around and say, OK, now we're going to forgive, you know, tickets, you know, that you've gotten in the past or whatever the case is. You're going to have a situation where you have to understand the economy and hopefully in the future, 
prevented from getting to that point. And that's why many times I've said to you, we're, we're always living in this, um, let's fix the problem as le- opposed to let's, let's not wait until it becomes a problem, whether it's homelessness, whether it's um, ec- economy, whether it's education, we're always behind the eight ball where we're trying to fix something after the fact. And when you're dealing with economics, and you know, I'm not an economist, but I'm sure you know, greater minds will probably agree. When you're dealing with an economy, when you start eliminating um, money coming in and you still have expenses to go out, where is it supposed to come from? Lori, just taking a look at the poll again, I found it interesting as to what adults uh, who were between the age of 30 and 49 uh, thought was important to them that made their life um, meaningful. And what what did we find in, in that particular session? Well, they found that grown folks, because you're officially grown once you're in your 30s, <laughs> grown folks are thinking about their occupation and their material well-being, which makes perfect sense because at that point, you know, you're you're beyond the what am I going to do with my life thing? And you're more looking into starting a family and, you know, advancing in your career and all of that other stuff. So I wasn't surprised that actually in the um, 30 to 49 and the 50 to 64 occupation was ranking second, because I guess you're starting your career and then you're, you're developing your career. You know, you're promoting and trying to get to whatever level you can in that profession. So occupation being second and then material well-being being third, you know, one goes with the other. If you're doing well in your job and, you know, you're advancing, you're making more money and you have more money to support your family, which is the time that you need it. Yeah, this is the prime earning years, the 30, to, you know, the, the 49, even the you know 50. And a lot of people probably hit their stride. Like you said, we got rid of the the, the college blues, right? We got rid of, you know, all of the, the things that we said we, 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 we needed to do. And then we found a, a niche that we felt that we could, um, we could fit in and then go to work at it. One of the guys was talking about how he loves his job. And then I looked at a survey that was before they talked about how many people were satisfied, satisfied with their employment. And, you know, I don't even need to look at the survey because you can just see what's going on in, in, in America and around the world as how many people are leaving employment saying that they're dissatisfied with the way they're being treated. But this particular person who worked for a nonprofit said that, you know, he liked the atmosphere. He liked his workers. He liked working on something that was significant that made a difference that impacted other people's lives. That's wonderful. But guess what? People have to pay bills. You know, ideology pushes up against the, you know, the, 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 the uh, gas bill and ideology pushes up against, you know, the car note and stuff. But a lot, most people do not do jobs they that they uh, imagine they would be doing when they were children. They do things for ne- the necessity of taking care of themselves. I mean, I know that you're, you're brilliant and the, the work that you do is, is uh, important, but I, I don't think that you woke up when you were like 10 years old and said, I want to be doing this particular job. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you, people change throughout their career. But, you know, it's interesting because nonprofits can, you know, actually be financially um, successful if you're making a, a salary that is commensurate with with the success of your nonprofit. So people shouldn't shy away from nonprofits because you could have that doing good as well as being financially um, set. I know we've talked many times about 
people like Bill Gates and and Oprah Winfrey and you know Steve Harvey and you know people who say consistently that if you do something that you love, the financial success should follow because you're putting that energy and that enthusiasm and all of that other stuff into it, and that spills over into you know gathering up um, momentum and and interest and all of that other stuff. So I think that. You know, that's possibly um, a benefit that people have. You know, I, like you said, a lot of people have been com- become discouraged with um, the working world, but that kind of falls back to what I was talking to you about before um, in terms of the morality of the country and, you know, politics and all of that other stuff, because we've seen over years, and, and you know this, Maurice, because you've done countless shows on Black Men Screaming about it, you know, about the change over time where, People have a pension and then they no longer have a pension. They have health benefits and then they change the rules where, okay, the the older people, we can't take it away from you, but the younger people, you're not getting the same thing. You know, things have changed in the working world that would obviously make people discouraged because you're not feeling appreciated. So I understand that um, while your occupation could be important, you know, you would do some more of that self-evaluation that we were talking about that happened during COVID where you start saying, well, you know what, I'm working this hard and am I getting what I need to get out of this? Or, you know, we only have one life that we know of, you know, unless you believe in an afterlife, you know, is this how I want to live my life? And, you know, do some of that evaluation. Lori, that really is a great point because again, you know, I loved the idea that he said that the, the, the main thing was to have a good job and a stable family and friends. And as long as you have those things, that would make you happy and have a fulfilling, fulfilling life. And that was a 30 year old from New Zealand that said that. And again, they're looking at the, their employment as a means to an end. You know, it's not their be all. And the other point that you made that I thought was really excellent, and you talked about what concerns people that, that, that are in the older group, the quote, quote unquote boomers, you know, um, health insurance, right? Because you, you just made a point, like a lot of companies we've seen with GM has gone back on their promises in terms of um, uh, providing lifetime insurance to, to um, reduce 